There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you only look, then you will see On WCN-TV friends. Pastor Mike with you. Thank you for joining me today for this edition of WCN-TV. If you're a parent or maybe a grandparent or your kids have children, text them right now. Tell them to join this. Join this conversation. You won't be sorry that you did that. The numbers don't lie. 2.8 million adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17 had at least one major depressive episode. And I'm not talking about just that related to the pandemic. There is an increase among this age group in drug use, sexual activity, addiction to phones, gaming, social media. According to Jeff Schott, my guest today, we need to step out of fear as parents because fear typically leads to negative reactions and poor decisions. What are those poor parenting decisions? Well, it boils down to one word, control. He refers to love as the best boundary that parents can instill. Jeff says, love is the one boundary that opposes evil while producing a sense of safety that results in openness, listening, learning, growth, faith, and true fellowship. Jeff is the author of a fantastic book. I had an opportunity to go through it, and uh, and it's always a good book, Jeff. When I pause what I'm reading and ask my wife, Kathy, do you have a second to listen? I want to read this to you. So <laughs> I probably read uh, three or four portions of this book and said, this is a, this is a fantastic book, The One Rule Home destroying the world's influence in your kid's life. We need to reevaluate the externally focused outcomes-based approach that relies on external motivation to move kids in the right direction. Um, You're talking to me in that book, Jeff. I just want you to know that before we get started. So what exactly does work? Love trumps the power of temptation. If enough of us caught onto the power of love we could see a generation raised up that would not succumb to temptation, but transform the nation. A hearty amen to that. 
Jeff has a bachelor's degree in marketing and a master's in biblical leadership and theology. He's been called the adolescent whisperer by parents and ministry leaders. After talking with more than 3,000 kids, he concluded that much of what he believed and read related to parenting was causing problems within families. He's the founder of Revive Family and One Rule Home. And his web address, and thank you, for producer, for having that up, onerulehome.com, onerulehome.com. Jeff, thank you for joining me today here on WCN-TV. Mike, it is great to be with you, and I appreciate the opportunity. Amen. Well, as I said, I really enjoyed the book. Um, several portions of it I had to had to read to Kathy, and and um, I said, you know, I could have used this book about 40 years ago. <laughs> I don't think there was a book like this out 40 years ago to be, well, other than the Bible, right? Because that's what you based. And I really enjoyed that. So Jeff, let's, as we get started, a little bit of background about you. Uh, you admit you aren't a perfect parent, that you had not, to learn. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit about yourself and what led you to write this book. You know, um, I'm a, I'm just a dad who had a daughter who was going off track and by age nine was would blame the sun, the dog, the wind, the moon to to not be wrong. And we'd have to debate and argue with her for an hour to get her to admit a little mistake. And I was reading all the parenting stuff out there and doing it and things were getting worse. And so the background on me basically is I'm a dad who actually decided to go talk to kids because all the stuff I was reading on parenting and the fact that I started with growing kids God's way as a parent, and I was a really good rules and consequences parent, it wasn't working. And, you know, I talk with so many parents today that are saying what I'm doing is not working, but what is there other than that? And so, you know, going out and talking with 3,000 kids, there were days in the research where I wanted to argue with the kids, and then I would be forced to listen, and then I'd look at scripture, and then I'd take what the kids said and go back to my kids and say, do you see me the way these other parents see their kids? And basically, the answer was, heck yeah, dad. And I real, you know, the Holy Spirit literally slapped me in the face and said, you look nothing like Jesus to your own kids. Mm. And that was the beginning of change for me. Amen. And and anybody who uh, claims to be a disciple of Jesus, if that statement doesn't stop you in your tracks and turn you around, then I don't know what would. So, yeah, you've talked to thousands of kids um, and, and some of the interviews that you put in there, it's like, wow, that's that's honest. That's brutally honest. <laughs> and, then, and so what are we going to do with that information, of course? So so generally, if you were to give a broad brushstroke uh, generalization to a couple of statements, what are the kids telling you today? The kids are telling me that uh, the expectations that we believe if we have high expectations for our kids, it will lead to higher performance of our kids. They're to a person telling me those expectations leave them feeling like they're always falling short, not good enough, or like they're a failure. They're mm-hmm. telling me that it they cause our kids to feel like they have to be perfect around us, which we know is impossible this side of heaven. That's right. So 
expectations a big a big topic uh, another big topic is the way we approach them the way we handle their failure they say it motivates them to lie to them to or sorry to, to lie to us and and it's true you know taking their phone away is a powerful incentive to want to cover up your sin much like we see in the old testament with the sacrifices uh jesus said that calling uh, many of those people whitewashed tombs because they didn't want to give up their best ram. And so they knew how to put on an act. And we're seeing a massive percentage of Christian kids in the research between 70, 80, 90 percent, depending on the Christian school or the youth group, leading a dual life that their parents aren't aware of. And so we're seeing that whitewashed tomb come to reality. So those are just a few of the many shocking things kids told us in the research. Yes. And and uh, I praise God that uh, probably a vast majority of, of the kids that you talked to, they were honest. They told you exactly what they thought and how they received communications from their parents. So what are the biggest complaints? Because... All families have a culture. I guess we could call it that. There's a culture within each individual family. They're all different. Um, what are some of the dynamics, I guess, that that kids talk to you the most about, identify that goes on in their families that's causing them um, distress or causing them to lie or causing them to try to hide what they're doing? I mean, there's a couple of things, Mike. The one of the things is that they don't feel listened to, heard, or mm. believed in, or trusted. And, and we've got this thing called earned tr- trust that we've come to believe in. As a society, I hear it in the church all the time that you have to earn my trust. Mm. And it is killing us with our kids. Earned trust cannot work because if imperfection is a reason not to trust our kids then or to trust anyone when someone's imperfect the bible says we're all imperfect this side of heaven so therefore we can trust no one mm-hmm. and one of the things in this book the one rule is love when we look at first corinthians 13 it says love always trusts and that's a real tension point for us as parents because yeah. When we catch our kids in a lie, we want to go to this place of we can't trust you. But when we look at the Lord and we look at him treating Judas like he trusted him for three and a half years before he betrayed him, even though he knew Judas would Mm -hmm. betray him. Or we look at the disciples scattering in fear and Peter denying him three times and then him coming back and giving them the great commission and putting the church in their hands. He exhibited immense trust, even in the face of failure. Yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to go back, uh, well, more than a couple of decades now and, and, and think about some of the conversations and communication styles that were prevalent um, when I was rearing my children. Um, and I don't want to admit that I did, but I probably did uh, talk over them. Um, try to analyze and nitpick the things that they would say, uh, try to, to, to logically attack their communication or their comments to show them 
there was fault in that or is that still a thing with parents, Jeff? I mean, do kids tell you, listen, I wish my my mom or my dad would would just listen to me? I mean, you just mentioned that, but but really listen. And, and so my point is this. Listen to what they're saying, accept what they're saying, unless there's glaring inconsistencies instead of pushing back and nitpicking and, 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 and trying to to argue or show them the the fallacy of their own position. I think there's value in just accepting what they say. Is, is that is that accurate? Well, I think there's a couple of things when it comes to listening. Yes. Um, love believes all things. First Corinthians 13. And so when we're constantly doubting what our kids say, what the kids told me in the research was they didn't feel loved. Mm. They didn't feel believed and mm. they didn't feel trusted. And trust is the bedrock of love. So when trust breaks down, when they don't feel trusted, love breaks down and communication breaks down. So that's one thing. The other thing related to listening is we have to listen to understand, not just listen. And so listening, asking questions. If we go in with the motivation to understand our kids' perspective, to understand if the Holy Spirit's working in their lives, to understand what they're thinking and feeling. When we take that extra effort to actively listen and ask follow-up questions and say, what's going on in there? What are you feeling right now? They start to share at a deeper level. And that's essential for them, given the adolescent brain, if you're talking an eight-year-old or older, that we help them hear themselves because God has wired the brain in that phase to push back against us if we're telling. But when we're asking and getting them to answer and think and process, I've found they end up making great decisions because they don't want to fail either. They hate failure as much as we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned um, in your book, Jeff, that only 5% of thoughts and emotions are conscious and repeated behavior issues often flow from the unconscious. So what do you mean by that? (laughs) Yeah, it's stunning. We as parents have been taught to focus on what I call the green part of the weed. And the green part of the weed is the behavior that we can see. And we've been taught to come along and cut off the bad behavior. But what happens when we cut off the top of a weed, it grows back. And the root system actually almost doubles in size every time. And we're seeing that with kids. When we go after the behavior, the green part of the weed, psychology has proven only 5% of thoughts and emotions are conscious. 95% are unconscious. So oftentimes when we're giving them the facts about their behavior or we're giving them the lecture and telling them to change the behavior, they're sitting there frustrated with themselves not understanding why they're behaving that way either and not knowing how to get it to change because the issue is coming from their unconscious thoughts and emotions. And so if we're not in a relationship that will have them open up with us where we can ask deeper questions and help them process and help them dig below the surface, we will, we're handicapped in our ability to help our kids break those repeated behavior patterns. Yes. Yes. Amen. Friends, I am speaking with uh, author Jeff Schott. The book is 
the one rule home, destroy the world's influence in your kid's life. Jeff, you you share some personal information about your early life, how it was impacted uh, by your father and the and the messages that you received. Could could you share that with our viewers? Yeah, I think you know my my family compared to so many families was wonderful. Uh, my dad would come home after work and play with us and give us their our baths. He as we got older, he would take me fishing and hunting, and so great relationship by and large. But there were some things going on that he didn't realize the powerful impact they were having on me because I, by nature, believe it or not, am an introvert. My dad was a very strong extrovert, the life of the party, the guy that could sell ice to an Eskimo, right? And so he was always pushing me, pressuring me to be more outgoing. And so we would go to a hotel room and he would try and get me to call the front desk for the wake up call. And he would put pressure on me until I would literally end up in the bed with the pillow over my head saying, fine, we won't go hunting in the morning I, rather than me making this call. And what he didn't realize that was doing with me was it was driving home this negative self-perception. I wanted to be like him. I would have killed to be like him and be extroverted, but I couldn't get there. And so I, it, I started to see myself in a negative light. And those negative beliefs I adopted about myself festered for a long time in my life until I encountered a major failure. And then they exploded in technicolor and I ended up clinically depressed. Would you say that uh, any of those struggles uh, contributed to who you are today as far as relating to kids and wanting to understand them and and being able to to uh, receive what they have said and then collate that and share it for people like us that desperately need that information. Did that help you at all, Jeff? Oh, I went through so many trials that, to be honest with you, the clinical depression, the loss of the company, um, a number of other things that happened along the way, God used those things to drive me to a counselor that after nine weeks said, you're one of the hardest nuts I've ever had to crack. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? I've poured my guts out. And she goes, that's true. With all the things you've been through and all the hurts you've encountered, I haven't even really had to ask a question, but this is the longest I've ever gone in, in uh, 22 years of being a Christian counselor without giving an assignment. I, <laughs> think, I think you're finally ready to hear me now. And she said, before I give you the assignment, I need to teach you about grieving. Now, grieving Mm -hmm. is a word that appears 67 times in the Bible, and mourning appears more than that. And it's something I was never taught to do by my parents or taught in the church or in my seminary degree. And she teaches me about grieving and the fact that if, if something major hits your life or a major hurt, and a major hurt can seem pretty minor to us as an adult, but a major hurt can be something that it looks minor to us, but it's major for our kids. And, and so she, she teaches me about grieving and that I have to, if you don't enter the grieving process within three weeks, you'll stuff it and it'll become toxic to the rest of your life. And she said, you know, all these things that hit that, that, that hit so fast in your life and the way the body of Christ responded to you around them, they didn't give you permission or ability to grieve. So you stuffed it all. Mm. And, and I'm like, okay. And then she goes, my assignment for you this week is to feel bad. Now 
you have to understand $150 an hour for feel bad in the back of my head. I explode. <laughs> I am so angry. You've got to be kidding me. Bleepity bleep, bleep, bleep. As I go out the door, you know, and, and I hit the, I hit the, the sidewalk and I kind of rushing down, you know, you know, 108 degree heat in Phoenix, Arizona. And I hit the car. It's like 200 degrees inside. You could cook an egg on the dash and, and I don't even feel the heat. I'm so angry. Right. And, and I, I get into the car and I'm driving down the highway and and the message of her grieving came back and the Holy Spirit came in. And I break down crying so hard. I had to pull over on the shoulder. Yeah. I couldn't see. And I came back a week later and she looks at me and goes, uh, you put yourself back together again. My assignment is to feel bad. I'm like, I'm not crying again. Crying is weakness. Right. And <laughs> and I end up bawling again. And that began the healing journey for me. Why was that so important? Because if I hadn't been through that crash, bang, boom, and all the things that led up to that crash, I don't think I could would have had the heart or the ability to hear the students. Yeah. And yeah. I also know it was me sharing these stories of failure and losing $6.1 million of other people's money in my company mm -hmm. that I can stand before kids when, when they're getting ready for these interviews and share my story and say, have any of you failed as much as me? And they go, no. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so you don't need to fear sharing any of your failures with me. And as part of how I got them to open up and be honest with me in the interviews. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a great segue. Uh, I, I mentioned this in the monologue when we when we opened the show. Teen depression is is really uh, skyrocketing. It is it is increasing exponentially. And I'm wondering um, what you make of this, Jeff. What what are your thoughts around this this phenomena with with the uh, increased depression rates among this age group? Yeah, I think the, the most alarming study just came out by the CDC uh, 10 days ago, and it shows that three in five girls today, adolescent girls, are struggling with deep sadness slash depression. Three in five, almost 60% wow. of adolescent girls today are at this place. And so in all this research, in my own personal journey of having experienced clinical depression, um, it's fascinating. You know, they've proven that it it's the serotonin imbalance up here in the brain. And so sleep and all of that is important. But psychologically, they don't know why it causes the serotonin imbalance. The root cause of depression is being mad at, angry at, or very, very unhappy with yourself. Mm. And so that fits right into all my research of when we have high expectations and our society is so performance-based and oftentimes even it can come across like faith is performance-based today that they're measuring themselves against these things. They're not measuring up. They're getting more and more negative about themselves. And then adolescence hits and the changes in the adolescent brain have electrical activity shift from the front lobes of the brain to the back lobes of the brain. And in the front lobes of the brain is emotional regulation. So if you're negative about yourself, it may be unconscious how negative about yourself you are. So there's 95% of, of those thoughts and emotions are unconscious. If you've got a lot of unconscious negativity and the brain goes into this phase where emotional regulation goes offline to a large degree, 
the negativity explodes in adolescence and it can lead to that depression. The other thing it can lead to is this whole, it makes them vulnerable to this thought process that, hey, you're really not happy with yourself. You're not feeling good. You know, maybe you're the wrong gender. And and all of a sudden, oh, there's one simple answer to fix this unconscious mess that's going on inside of me. If I just change this about myself, I'll feel better. And it's a really powerful draw. And it's why the way we parent is so important. Because I'm finding 80, 90% of Christian kids having a strong set of negative core beliefs. And those negative core beliefs make them vulnerable to depression, to suicide, to these alternative lifestyle messages. And it leaves them vulnerable um, to the world, basically, to the world's influence. And so much of the way we've been trained to parent is to highlight the misbehavior and to go after that. Yeah. That's what's driving that negativity into our kids. Yes. Yes. Well, I I grew up in, in an era when parenting was all about outcome-based behavior and parenting for that goal. And um, your book is very definitely not that. It is making a whole different uh, paradigm shift, in fact. Um, is it your understanding from all of your research and talking to kids and parents and uh, is it still the approach among a majority of parents and outcome-based behavior parenting style is that still the case jeff yeah it is very much so even outside of the church but even more so inside the church because love and logic eventually comes back to that outcome um, even grace-based parenting comes back to that outcome if it goes too far. And what we're missing is that Jesus had one command, love one another. That's what he left the disciples with right before he was arrested. We don't believe that will work today because we've, through the 2,000 years since Jesus was here, we've lost the meaning of love. We don't understand all the dimensions of love and how love can become a powerful boundary in how our kids act with us, how they act with each other, and how they act outside of our homes. Mm -hmm. And it's that lack of understanding of love, because I, I know when I, when I did the research and first did the study into love and came to the conclusion Jesus had one command, which was love, I'm like, that's way too simple for our complex world. <laughs> But if you look at Rome, they were killing people in the gladiator games for entertainment. You could check out a prisoner that was condemned to die and kill them on stage in a play. There were orgies. Their culture was as messed up as ours. And, and so the reality is Jesus took a different route, a different form of leadership, one called the good shepherd or shepherding, that caused 5,000 to chase him around the lake when... He was trying to slip away. And today, what I see is 5,000 kids running the opposite way around the lake away from their parents. We need to lead like Jesus in our homes so that our kids want to follow us, not have to follow us or else. Yes. 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 Amen. And that's so that that begins to explain what, what you said in your book. And I, I mentioned it as a quote. 
when we when we began the show, love trumps the power of temptation. Now, that's going to sound like a foreign language to some parents. Uh, I, I can just hear them now. What? <laughs> well, well so the, part of the challenge of getting this message out over the last 19 years is I am fighting 2,000 years of cultural history, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that cultural history says rules and consequences, spare the rods, spoil the child, right? Yeah. Um, you, you know, I love that. I love it when parents come and say, you know, what about the verse, spare the rods, spoil the child? And I'm like, well, one, that's in the Old Testament. Um, and see Proverbs, which is wisdom li- literature, but two, it's actually not there. And they're like, what? In fact, when I wrote my first book, I went looking for that verse and couldn't find it. So I left the verse reference for it blank in my first book, Going, Going, On, sent it to my editor at Nav Press. Two weeks later, I get a call back. We've sent this through three people. We all know it's a verse, but we can't find it in the Bible. So oh I so I extended my search and I looked broader and I discovered it's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Spare <laughs> the ride, spoil the child is a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He's well noted for being a parenting expert, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think he's a scientist, which means he's very equation based. Um, probably not. And so the, the reality is we have this belief that our kids learn through consequences. Mm-hmm. And what we found overwhelmingly in the research was once a consequence was issued, their brain went offline and they didn't learn anything. And I'll just tell this story as an example. Uh, I went down to a family in Florida that was having problems with their 13-year-old and their 9-year-old. I spent a week with them in their home. And what was fascinating is I sat down with the nine-year-old who was actually now hitting his mother, okay? And I had the mom sit in a room where she could overhear the whole conversation. And I'm like, so what don't you like about your family? I don't like having my toys taken away. I'm like, so why are the toys taken away? She goes, because, uh, he said, because I do or say something wrong. I'm like, okay, you've got that concept. When was the last time you had things taken away? Two days two days ago, my two favorite toys from Christmas were taken away. And I'm like, okay. And what did you think about when the toys were taken away? He said, I thought about hating my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and then uh, I'm like, well, what else did you think about? And he goes, well, he thinks and thinks and thinks. He goes, I thought about the toys that are being taken away and about hating my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> okay, so what did you do wrong to have the two toys taken away? He thought and thought and couldn't come up with the answer. It would happen two days earlier. And I'm like, I asked him questions from five different angles, trying to activate his brain to help him remember what he did wrong. He could not remember. Wow. Okay. And, and, uh, and then, so I, I bring the bomb out afterwards. I said, what did you hear? He's hitting me because I'm taking his toys away. I'm like, okay, what else did you get from that? He's not learning a darn thing from my consequences. I'm like, nope, that's what my research is proving. And what the older kids are telling me is, hey, look, you know, no one takes my parents' phone away when they yell at me. So why do why does my phone get taken away? And there we're cutting off their communication with their friends. And so when they're up in their room after the phone's taken away, they're fuming. They're angry at us. They're developing negative thoughts about us. 
they're giving their friends more influence in their lives and us less. And they're so focused on the injustice of it. They're not learning anything. Mm. Yeah. Great. That's a, that's a great point. Um, now I imagine some parents out there, Jeff, listening to this and and they've discovered that the one rule in the home is love. <laughs> love trumps temptation. They're going to say, yeah, but if I only respond in love, isn't that a signal to my to my kid that I'm not setting any boundaries anymore? <laughs> Got it. And, you know, there's this there's this um, to a large degree straw man out there of the friend parent that has no boundaries and is the free range parent They're They're out there, but there aren't that many of them. Most parents are pretty fearful today and are over on the more controlling end of the scale. The truth always lies in the middle. And what I find and why love trumps uh, uh, our consequences or our authority or our power is that it draws our kids closer. Consequences push them away. And so when we approach them with unconditional love, like Jesus gave the woman at the well, or the adulterous woman, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. and and he protected the adulterous woman from the consequence of being stoned. Okay, he gained her trust. He gained her loyalty. He gave her a sense of unconditional love she had never received before, and that allowed her to walk into the light like the woman at the well did with her sin. And the passage in the Bible is, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have true fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So when we create a fear-based culture in our home of consequences, our kids fear us. They hide their sin from us. They don't walk in the light. We're not having true fellowship, and they're not being purified. Mm -hmm. And so why does love trump this? It has to do with Jesus's last teaching time where he said, this is my one command, love one another. Be right behind that. He's, he talks about the Holy Spirit convicting the world, the cosmos, the world, everyone of mm-hmm. sin and of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And what happens when we are coming in with consequences, we are convicting our kid. We are trying to change our kid and it, it obscures the role of the Holy Spirit in our kids' minds and hearts and lives because the Holy Spirit is the one that's supposed to convict and guide and sanctify, not us. It's fascinating that in marriage retreats, we're told, don't fix our spouse. That's a bad thing. It will break the relationship. But we go to parenting events and we're told to fix our kids. and Like it's not going to break the relationship. That just doesn't make sense. And so the bottom line is love creates an environment where our kids can walk in the light, feel safe with us. And they come to me now, my kids, and say, Dad, I'm struggling with this. I have doubts about that. Um, Dad, uh, you know what? I looked at pornography last night. What do I do? Okay. And now I have access to have deep, powerful spiritual conversations with them where I can dig into the unconscious and what's the trigger, what's the wound in there that's causing you to need some type of escape, whether that's video games to feel successful, social media to feel successful, pornography to get a dopamine release, 
what's going on in your heart yes is getting in the way and when we're in this other mindset we don't get that level of communication they hide it from us yes yeah amen amen We've that's, got why, that's why i love trump's all these other things Yes, and, and I've got a personal example to share, but we have a question from our studio audience, so go ahead over the hill. Do you have your hand up? Which one did you call on, Mike? Yep, yep, go ahead. This yes. is yep. Harry. Okay. Hi, Harry. Hi, Harry. Oh, yeah, I thought you said Joe. I'm sorry. No. You know, what, what you're saying is all well and good. Now, I, I'm 78 years old. I'm old enough to be your father, it looks like. Uh, what do you do with the peer pressure? Okay, love and you know, love in the home, that's fantastic. Everything you're saying is great. But how do you overcome the peer pressure when you when these kids go to public schools and they get influenced by the groups that are out there? Okay, I'm gonna answer that question in two ways. Um the first um, being, the first being I'm getting an echo there. I'm getting an echo there. Uh, so the Okay, are we good there? All right. Sorry about that. Um, the The first way I'm going to answer it is because of the changes in the youth culture today um, and the very relativistic thought process that we don't like <laughs> in kids, peer pressure outside of in major sports teams has pretty much gone away. Uh, my kids went through public school, public high school, and were never offered drugs. They were confused because there were so many kids on drugs here in Colorado where marijuana is legal. And they went and asked some of the kids, why haven't you offered us drugs? They said, well, we know you're not that kind of person and you wouldn't do that. So the peer pressure has gone away. I'm going to answer it a second way, which is from the Bible. And Jesus was not called a great king or a great leader. He was called the good shepherd. And there's this amazing passage in the Bible where it talks about the thief and the robber climb in over the fence to try and take the sheep. But the gatekeeper opens the gate to the shepherd of the sheep. And when he does, the shepherd calls his sheep by name and they know his voice and they come out of the pen. Why is this so significant? There were community pens in that day. And so the shepherds would come in and bring their sheep and put them in a massive pen. So there might be a thousand sheep in this community pen and a hundred of them are yours. There's no way you're going to go in there and catch them all. They have to want to come out and follow you. And we see this with Jesus and the disciples. He invites the disciples to follow him. They choose to follow him because of who he is, because of his unconditional love. And sorry. Should I stop there with the dog barking producer? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I apologize. And, and so the the reality is um, the shepherd has this relationship with the sheep because of unconditional love, because he protects the sheep from harm, that the sheep choose to follow him and they want to follow him. And when we use unconditional love in our homes and we approach them differently, we end up with that same influence where my kids call me their best friend. Now, do I have boundaries? 
Yes. Do I set them through hard rules and consequences? No. Do I set them through open-ended communication and trust and empowerment and prayer and trusting the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and convict? I do. But what's fascinating is because of that, they buy me more than they buy their teachers, more than they buy their friends, because I treat them better than the world. And as a result of that, they have granted me the influence in their lives higher than anybody else. And I no longer fear the world's influence in their lives at all because they buy me more than the television, than the social media, than their friends, than their teachers. And I have a louder voice and more influence in the world by far. And we are granted that influence when our kids come out of the womb. They have a desire to please us. They have a desire to succeed. They have a desire to be loved by us. We are granted more influence in their lives than the world. And what I found in the research is we're unwittingly frittering that influence away and handing it to the world by the way we approach our kids. Amen. Amen. Jeff, I also wanted to mention before we run out of time that I really appreciated the layout uh, of the book. I know there's some thought that goes into that process of how we're going to present this information. Um, and specifically, uh, folks, what I'm talking about is that at the end of each chapter, you'll find if you can see this, you'll find some key concepts. So sort of drawn out and and put there, boom, like bullet points of the contents of the chapter, things for you to to absorb and think about. And then there's a place for for questions as well, um, where you can uh, interact with the text. And uh, Jeff, I also want to take some time to talk about other resources. I, I've got a few more questions I'd like to explore with you, but but I'd like to talk about some of the other resources that you have um, that, that you could probably um, share here in the next five, 10 minutes. That'd be enough time to talk about your, the other. Thank you, producer. You've got them up there. Other resources for parents. Right. Well, Going, Going, Gone is a great book. It looks at why our kids are leaving the faith. And it's kind of the first portion of the book. It ends at the conclusion that we need to shepherd like Jesus. The next book picks up from there, The One Rule Home. So if you want to get into their thought processes and why they're developing doubts, why they're walking away from the faith, if you see your kid slipping away, Going, Going, Gone is a great resource. The one next to that is Succeed. It's our Collins Transition Tool. It's got multiple different speakers. It's got students from our research. It's got videos of students talking about the different areas that they struggled in in the college transition from money management to stress and change in loneliness to culture shock, all of these different things. And so it's got student videos and then a teaching component and discussion questions. And parents are telling me that that tool with their juniors and seniors creates enough fear in them that they actually open up and start having deep conversations about leaving home and how to get ready for that. Um, then there's um, the One Rule Home book and workbook. The workbook um, is, a, 
is in it's in press right now. COVID's got so many paper shortages out there. Getting our workbook printed has been a nightmare. But the the workbook gives you so many more thoughts and practical ways to implement things with your kids. It also has the implementation guide. So if you read the book and say, wow, I want to make the change, there's a very specific implementation process because you have had a mindset change from reading the book. Your kids don't see you any differently. So the implementation process is a way to help your kids start to see you in a different light so that they'll take their guard down. Um, so that's built into the implementation process. Then there's the One Rule Home Academy, which is our online course, which oh, I'm really excited about. It'll be available the end of April. And it is highly interactive, highly thought-provoking. Um, it will actually come with a half an hour of my time at the beginning and an hour at the, the beginning of the week, and an hour at the end of the week where I answer questions. And we'll go through the 12 sessions over 12 weeks together. And I'll work with you through that process to help you wrestle with the doubts and questions this message naturally creates. And then we have coaching and mentoring where we actually work with uh, adolescents who are struggling because we've developed a healing process that addresses the three levels of healing. There's the cognitive side of healing and bringing things from unconscious to conscious. There's the stored trauma side of healing, which is the amygdala and uh, ventral vagal nerve exercises that can release trauma. And then there's the heart healing component where the Holy Spirit circumcises the heart. And we have developed a process that takes all three of those and brings a very powerful spiritual healing process to both parents and kids. And so in that process, we work through the parenting and the reworking of the culture of the family and building, rebuilding trust. But we also deal with the triggers, the emotional triggers that can cause us to have repeated behaviors that are destructive to a safe place that we need the family to be so we can walk in the light with each other. So that's a good synopsis of the, the resources. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what I'm hoping uh, at this point in our conversation, Jeff, is that there are some parents out there that say, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to try to change my approach. What would you say to them and how would they get started? I think, you know, either the the online class and going through that with me or, or the book would be a great start. What I want to say in a word of encouragement is many parents will say it's too late. My, my kid's too far gone. Um, I've had parents that have done this with their 22 and 23 or 24-year-old kids and have, that are out of the house and have seen their kids' hearts come back to life. And why is that the case? The heart infused with the Holy Spirit never dies. It may be buried under expectations and guilt and a sense of being a failure. But when we help unearth that, the heart comes roaring back to life. And so the best thing to do is get started and read it, wrestle with it. If you want, we have parent support phone calls you can get on after reading the book as well to get your questions answered. And so we're here to help you wrestle with this thought process. And then we're here to support you as you start to make the changes and go through the implementation process. Just read the book. And if you'll do that, it's available in Kindle. It's available in Audible. Uh, we have it in all the formats. 
I beg you to give it a shot just to read it. I know I'm coming out of left field. I'm challenging so many sacred gals, but I wouldn't do this unless I saw it work with my own family. And I've seen it work with thousands of other families too. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hope. Hope is essential for the family environment, the family culture, relationships. How, how would parents go about nurturing that in their own home and family with their kids? I think the first part is we, we've got to realize the body and mind are fundamentally slanted to move towards the negative. And so often what I see happen with parents and kids is they get stuck in what I call a negative relationship cycle. And that negative relationship cycle has to be broken by the parent. When we fundamentally see our kids in a negative light, it drips out in our nonverbal. It drips out in the things we say and how we address things that are going on in their lives. And that negativity hurts them and it pushes them away. And so one of the top things we can do as parents is wake up every morning and find five things to be grateful for in our kid. The research related to gratefulness and the impact it has on our lives is profound. And if we'll start practicing gratefulness for our kids, it will start to restore our hope, our positivity. And when our kids start to see that in us, they'll start drawing close to us again. Yes. Amen. Amen. And I, so my personal story, and I'll use this uh, as, uh, as my last input, Jeff, and then I've got one more question for you before we go. Um, my wife and I, we, we are at a season in life. We're both retired. So we get to devote uh, our time to ministry now. Um, but we also are in a season when we get to keep two of our grandbabies and uh, pour into them and, and the one is three years old and the one is a year and a half. And what we discovered very early on, because we've been empty nesters for, oh, I don't know, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> when, when these two little bundles of energy uh, invaded our home and, and we're loving it, just absolutely loving it. But at three years old, uh, they can be ornery and they can, they can push your buttons and sometimes it, it seems like they're pushing your buttons intentionally. And uh, so so what we learned very early on was that I'm going to love them through that. And this is completely different from my parenting and my kids. Uh, I'm going to love them through that. So when they're sticking their tongue out or when they're doing, you know, things that three-year-olds are going to do, I'm going to just... And I do. I, I just look them in the eye and I and I say, this is the three-year-old especially. I love you. I love you so much. And it changes her countenance, her demeanor, and that behavior changes immediately. Now, I thought of that when I was reading your book. And I thought, boy, I could have used this about 40 years ago when I was parenting my kids. And that is just amazing uh, to see that happen. So, so um, last question, the one rule home boils down to three key words. What are well, those? Love one another. I can't find um, biblical support for any rules beyond that because it was the only one that Jesus left with the disciples to start the church. Yeah. And we're called to be like him which means we're called to be good shepherds of our kids' hearts. 
Yes. And so loving one another, when we learn through reading a book, all the different dimensions of love and how practical they are, it will help remove that fear that love, there's no way this can work. But that love binds us mm -hmm. together so closely. And that's the privilege I have as a parent. I've got a 15-year-old at home. And this is going to sound maybe a little bit crazy, but I started a routine with my kids long, long ago, because I have four, that was this morning routine where I'd get up early, start the wood stove here in Colorado. I would uh, do my prayer time, et cetera. Then I'd wake them up. And if they got up quickly and got dressed, um, I we would pile back because the house is cold with the wood stove in the big bed, in the master bedroom in the morning. And I would make up songs for them and and spend time with them and pray with them before we went down to have breakfast and, and go to school. And that's why I never had a hard time getting my kids out of bed. Um, my 15 year old son still does that before school in the morning with me. <laughs> and he gets up and he says, cuddle time. And we hop in the bed and we're fully clothed and he's lying on my shoulder and I'm lying on the bed and I will sing him the same song. He still wants me to sing him the song I made up years ago. It's, I love Eric, boom, boom. I love Eric, boom, boom. I love Eric, I love Eric. I love Eric, boom, boom. Eric makes me happy. Eric makes me smile. Eric is my buddy. Eric is my friend. It goes on and talks about God loves Eric because God made Eric. And it's got multiple verses. And then we pray and I talk to him about his heart. What's going on inside? How are you feeling inside? What's been happening with relationships in your life? That's a morning routine my 15-year-old still wants to do. You tell me that doesn't give me more influence than the world in my kids' Amen. 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 Betty, you had a question? I have a comment, and sorry about that. Um, I trust is a big thing, like you say, and I think what you're doing is a great, great, great thing. And I have a great son, but believe me, as growing up, he did some crazy, crazy stuff. You can't even imagine. But I taught him that trust is a big thing, not only with him, but also with me. You get it's a two way street, you know. And so I'd always tell him that, you know, if you get in trouble at school or if you do anything stupid, because I was a kid, too. I'd rather hear from you than from somebody else, and then we'll deal with it. So believe me, when he'd come home, he wasn't proud. We'd go, Mom, Mom, and I'm going, okay, what you do now? You know, it was like not even hello. It's like, what did you do? And he would tell me, because I always told him I'd rather have the truth from him and be hurt once. But if you lie to me and then you tell me the truth, I've been hurt twice. And I don't like to even be hurt once, much less twice. And to this day, he's 35 years old. He's, I told him, don't ever let me catch you in a lie. And you know what? That boy will not lie to me, <laughs> you know? So I think it's how you teach him too. But you, I also told him that I will never lie to you. I might make you mad. I might hurt your feeling, but I will never lie to you. You know, I so that's a big point. Yep. I think what you're getting at there is also in the book related to discipline. The word discipline doesn't mean punishment in biblical times. It meant teaching, training, and upbringing. And part of the problem that we've got with the way we view parenting today is it's reactive, not proactive. And so the book talks about how do we get out front of these things 
because we need to be teaching, training, and equipping our kids and preparing them for the future. At one point, the, the society saw kids as an adult much younger. George Washington, at age 16, was surveying the land for the U.S. government in the wilderness by himself. He was building maps for the U.S. government. And so we now see them as children and we treat them that way. Our job is not to protect our kids and try and restrict them, but it's to prepare them to walk in the world so that they can leave our homes and we don't have to fear them leaving our homes. They need to be prepared. And so part of love, it prepares. And the book talks about that as well. So it lines up exactly with what you were talking about. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Jeff. Well, that's all the time we've got. We've been talking with uh, Jeff Schott. The book is The One Rule Home, Destroy the World's Influence in Your Kid's Life. And Jeff's given you a roadmap to do exactly that. If you have any questions about anything that has been discussed on this show, onerulehome.com. All of those resources are available to you. And if you reach out to Jeff through the contact form, let him know that you heard him on WCN-TV. That would be wonderful. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. It was great to be here with you. You're very, very welcome. That's all we have for you today, friends. I appreciate you sharing this on your platforms and with your friends. And we'll be back next week. Rob will be hosting, and he's got a special guest coming on with him. So we'll see you then. God bless you guys. Mm-hmm.